0: And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mick Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives, he dives into, into the, the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Goldmines with Kevin Hart.
1: Welcome, world. Welcome to our new episode of Comedy Goldmines. Where we do what? You should know the answer to that question by now. When well, we get into the minds of brilliant comedians, and oh my God, what amazing minds they are. Well, today will be no different. The creative mind that we have with us today, well, it keeps climbing to newer heights as a comedian every year. He's an actor, writer, producer, author. I mean, God, guy from 2019's Netflix special called The New One, his touring one-man shows. He's multifaced, is that right? Did I say that word? Is it multi-faced or faceted? It's faceted multifaceted, multifaced. I don't know, guys. Sometimes I struggle with words. It's all about me being human, okay? I'm gonna say faceted, it's multifaceted. Uh, He has had a major role on TV and film, including 2015 Judd Apatow's Trainwreck, recurring roles on Orange is the New Black, and his role on Showtime hit Billions more recently. Um, He's put out a podcast titled Working It Out. Make sure to go check that out, by the way. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mike Probiglia. Mike, what's going on, champ?
2: What's up, Kev? Good to see ya.
1: Mike, did I pronounce that word right?
2: Yeah, I think so. Multifaceted. Faceted. God
1: damn it. <laughs> what did I say? I said face it, right? I said something stupid. I was man. I struggle with my vocabulary, Mike. I really do.
2: Kev, I was watching this video that that Fallon posted the other day of the two of you on a roller coaster, and I don't know if I've laughed that hard in so long. Because you're one you're one of the few people it was real. who When I see you struggling, I enjoy it. I like you, but I enjoy it. (laughs) And then at the end of the roller coaster, he goes, we're going again. in your fucking face, you're going to go again. Oh, my God. I
1: couldn't get off. Son of a bitch had me strapped in. There's nothing I could do. We are strapped in. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's it's late night TV. It's a talk show. They're like, we got a great idea for a stunt. I'm like, Mike, I don't really know, you know. (laughs) I don't I don't know about the whole roller coaster thing, guys. I don't fuck with roller coasters. Yeah. I was very honest with them. They was like, oh Cat, okay, but it'll be great at you and Jimmy. He doesn't really ride them either. Maybe you guys do it, face your fare. What do you yeah. think? I'm like, all right. I'm like, yeah. I, yeah, that, yeah. All right, okay, let's do it. I'm thinking it's gonna be quick, you know, like a little fifteen second. That might have been one of the roller coasters I've ever been on that in was, my fucking life, man. It was like a minute, yeah. a minute and some change for a roller coaster yeah. ride. It's forever, forever. Are you a roller coaster guy? You an amusement park guy?
2: No man, no man. I I was so glad to watch you and Jimmy on there because, yeah, I don't like roller coasters. I remember going to carnivals when I was a kid. Do you remember the scrambler at carnivals? Yes, I do. Where it's like you know you're going around, 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 and I remember I was on once with a girl. I, I didn't talk about this in my special girlfriend's boyfriend, but my girlfriend's boyfriend where. I, I had a crush on this girl, and we go on the scrambler. And I'm thinking, like, maybe we're gonna make out, or maybe this is gonna go somewhere. And then I throw up oh, no. on the scrambler, and of course, the thing is whipping around. So you're basically you're 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 throwing up like like a like a lawn sprinkler. Like, oh no!
1: Oh no! Oh!
2: You know, like popcorn and cotton candy and peanuts. And it was a I, I don't think I've gone on since. I don't think I've gone on since high school.
1: Well, by the way, you shouldn't. If that's a problem that you had, Mike, you shouldn't go on again.
2: Uh, Mike, let's talk comedy, man. Let me start by saying I love the show. I re- listen to it on Sirius. Mm-hmm. I listen to the pod. I love love the episodes with Sarah Silverman, Bill Burr. Thank you, man. And I just I really respect what you're doing. I've been I've been loving what you're doing for so many years now, so it's an honor to be on.
1: Oh, man, thank you. I'm glad to have you on. I'm a fan of comedy. So me being a fan of comedy, I love reaching out to just all, all of the comedians that I've encountered, you know, conversations and experiences with that I know that I've been in the trenches with. Uh Mike, I've known you for quite some time, man. And yeah. and knowing you, it's it's always been, you know, just in a comedian way, right? Like I feel like there's yeah. a certain synergy that comedians have where we're always uh accepting, but for the most part, we should be accepting and and uh welcoming to one another. Of course with some it's different, but for the most part yeah. in, in our world, this is what it is. It's fraternity but I've never really gotten to know you. I don't know a lot about you. So in this yeah. case, in this time now, I feel like I have an opportunity to do just that. Um, where did it start for you? How did comedy start?
2: Started in high school. So I grew up in central mass, Massachusetts and my brother, Joe, my brother, Joe's five years older than me. And he took me to see Steven Wright live at the Cape Cod melody tent, which you've probably played Cape Cod melody. Tent. I have. And, uh, it was one of those things where i wonder if you ever had this in philly with anyone where i just go fuck like like that's it what he's doing that's what i gotta do i whatever it is he's doing this you know just just even seeing someone you know just a great joke teller like Stephen Wright is i was just like i gotta do that i went home i wrote tons of jokes in a notebook they're all garbage of course and then when I was in college, I went to Georgetown and I entered the funniest person on campus contest and I won and then it was crazy. I'd never done stand-up. and I won and I got the chance to open for someone at the DC Improv. And I looked at their, I went to their website and I looked and I saw it go, oh, Dave Chappelle's coming. I asked if I could uh, open for Dave Chappelle. This is pre Chappelle show, this is pre everything. This is before Half Baked, you know? And, and I opened for Chappelle I opened for, you know, I got a job at the door.
1: How the fuck did it go this fast? Jesus Christ, Mike. I mean, you're talking about coming out the gate.
2: But that was like pre-Chapelle Chappelle. Like, he was 24. Okay. He was like, we're talking like I was 19, he was 24.
1: Okay. Give me a timestamp. What what year?
2: Timestamp is like 97.
1: Wow, I just graduated from high school. Isn't that crazy? Just graduated from high school.
2: Yeah, you and I are almost exactly the same age. So I graduated in 96. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then I, so then I am in DC and it's like, you know, I'm working the door and I'm watching like Chris Paul and, you know, Brian Regan and mm. Paul Mooney, mm. well, rest in peace. Paul Mooney mm. would come through like twice a year, once, twice a year. And I would work the door and I'd seat people bring them quesadillas. And I would just watch the masters, you know, I was just like studied, just took it all in.
1: When do you feel like you, you started to understand because you say like, you know, you're, you're fresh out of, out of high school, out of, you know, you're, you're yeah. 19 years old right now. So at this point, you know, comedy, isn't a thing that you've dissected. Yeah. Like you said, you had jokes, but they were all trash. When did it start to click for you? When did you start to figure out who you were on stage?
2: I think when I came to New York, moving to New York from from anywhere. I mean, in this case, I was pretty good in DC. You go to New York, you're garbage
1: was comedy the reason for the move,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, so I moved to New York to pursue comedy, and then I was lucky because I'd opened for Brian Regan and Dennis Regan, Brian Regan's brother. Dennis Regan had worked in New York for years, and so he was like, I opened for them in right before I graduated. and Dennis goes, I'm gonna call Esty at the comedy cellar, I'm gonna call Lucien Hold at the strip, um, and and uh, Chris mazilli got them. The one that Took me was Lucian Hold. You remember Lucian? I
1: remember Lucian. Yeah. He
2: passed away years ago. And Lucian, uh you know, he sort of just gave me a lot of spots. And then the other thing was he, one of the best things, it's probably where we met actually in hindsight, is uh, one of the best things I could have ever done is I hope he gave me a slot hosting Sunday night. Mm. So I'd host and it would be like 15, 16 comics. Show would start at like 7 30, go to like 1 a.m. So you sort of just meet everybody.
1: It's not a bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and then
1: like, that's when you get the comedy shops.
2: Yeah. And then like, you know, eventually I got into the cellar and, and, uh, and then I just started, you know, the big thing was like colleges. Like I was, I was, no one really wanted me to do an hour. I couldn't work at comedy clubs as a headliner. I mean, I had colleges. I don't know if you had this starting out where you'd show up and they'd just go, So we have you in this uh, cafeteria and you know what I mean? And then you go, okay.
1: Oh my God, the lunchroom. Yeah.
2: The lunchroom, man. There's no
1: stage. There's no like, uh, literally on the college circuit, it it got to a point where you kind of never knew what you were going to get at one point in your career. Yeah. You just know that you're going to perform, but then you get there and then it's a discovery you're in the lounge, you're in the, you're in the den. We call this the the lion's den.
0: I'm sorry, what? (laughs) The lion's den, you just come up here and
1: we got the students all gathering around and you're like, holy shit. You're like, it, it showed you what the real, what the real layers to comedy actually were. It kind of made you appreciate that road even more.
2: That's how I sort of figured out how to do an hour on stage. Cause I think when you're starting out, you're doing five minutes, you're doing 10 minutes and you're looking at these guys doing an hour like how the, how would i do that i don't know how to i don't know how to do an hour of comedy and then you're as you show up at a college they go i had colleges Kev, where i would show up and they go so we have you down for 2 hours <laughs> We're like what you're like what do you mean
1: oh my god
2: i don't have oh my 2 hours i don't have 2 hours of material cuz they you at they're, they're booking bands. They're booking whatever. You know, you do anything. You do crowd work. You bring people. You bring college students on stage. You interview them. I mean, it's crazy. But it. But it's. You know, it's trial by fire, and you get better. I mean, what's crazy is I look back and I go like, I was lucky. <laughs> I was lucky to have all those gigs.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Because when you look back at it, I can truly say NACA, the experience of NACA. So for for my listeners, NACA is a. How would we describe this, Mike? It's basically a... It's College Booking Student Association. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Okay. And what you do as comedians, we would have to perform at NACA. Yeah. And there's, like you said, the Students Performing uh, Association, right? They're, they're there. And they're there from colleges all over. And they're watching the show. Yeah. And after the show, it was your job to have a booth set up yeah. or a station set up and colleges would just stop by like a convention yeah like a convention they would just stop by your booth your station and if you were good they were like we want to book you yeah and then they would give you a date yeah and the goal was to leave this thing with a crazy amount of dates yeah you had to leave naca with a crazy amount of dates and and when i tell you when i tell you that's that's what paid the bills for me. Same. for quite some time, man. It, it was the NACA, Mike. Same NACA did
2: it. I remember when I was doing NACAs.
1: National Association for Campus, Campus Activities. Activities.
2: Daniel Tosh. Daniel Tosh was doing some of the same NACAs as me. <sighs> I I would book like fifteen. He'd book a hundred. Yes,
1: he was a monster. He'd
2: book a hundred.
1: Daniel Tosh was a monster.
2: I go, how how do you book a hundred colleges in a day?
1: A monster on the college circuit.
2: Yeah college kids loved Daniel Tosh.
1: Daniel Tosh, Dane Cook, the two biggest college acts I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, at that time, because that's, you know, you're talking about the beginning.
2: Early 2000s. Yeah,
1: and even in that time, even in that time, like the the comedians, you know, if you were getting a good knacker run, I mean, your your hot comic was getting what? Was your hot comic getting 5,000 to 10,000 maybe? Yeah, sure. 510, and you figured that comic had 100 dates. Oh my god That comic was He was the talk of the fucking town The talk of the town
2: Next thing you know His brother's in prison You know Anything can happen
0: It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show, because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: So, Mike, you you go. You're you're doing your your college circuit. I mean, yeah. you're you're getting spots in New York. You made the move. Yeah. Uh, this career now is starting to kind of blossom, yeah. right? It's starting to it's starting to turn into something at this point. Yeah. When did the headlining side of comedy kick in?
2: So I think, so when I did New Faces, Montreal, two man, you and I did New Faces probably really similar, two thousand one.
1: I was gonna see if you remember. Was you, were you 2001? Yes. Me yes. Too. What are you talking about? We were in there. Yeah. We did together. I did, uh, yeah. I did new faces, but I remember you being down there in Montreal. That was like yeah. a, that was my big, that was my yeah. big thing that year. That's huge. huge.
2: Yeah. So then I got, I got to do Letterman from that. And, and that was, and you and I have the same agent, Mike Berkowitz. Mike. Booked us on the road. And Mike was coming up at that time at the same, you know, he's our age. And so he was coming up at the same time, so he didn't have a lot of clients, and he, I met with him, he watched my set of The Strip, and he goes, I think I could run with this because you're one of the youngest guys to do Letterman, so I'll, I'll just have that be the thing that, you know, one of the youngest guys to ever do Letterman, you know, put, that was my credit when I would go to clubs, and man, in retrospect, Kev, I did not have a good hour you know what i mean like like they were charging for tickets and then i wish i could pay back every last one of those people for thinking that was a headlining set like that was not good enough to fill an hour (sighs) so i'm going everywhere like i would go places like I, i remember going once to springfield missouri it was like a funny bone there's like a there's like a pool table and like a ping pong thing in the back of the room and it's loud and I'm fucking bombing. And, and they, the manager just calls the club, the owner of the chain, and just goes like this guy, this guy just doesn't have it. And then they call off the rest of my night. No. You know, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I used to have terrible early on, I had terrible sets, but you know, what was actually a big break for me. It was like radio. So like, so, like, I was on Bob and Tom in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Bob and Tom is a syndicated radio show. They're in, like, 100-plus 100, 100 little towns, mm-hmm. right? They're in Peoria and Bloomington and all these places all over the country. And so I did well on that radio show. And next thing you know, like, I would go to Peoria or Colorado Springs or your Tempe or whatever town, and I would do – you know, people would show up because they knew me from the radio. You know, radio is so, such an intimate form,
1: as you know. Did those lows ever affect you though? Like when you're talking about the things that happen at the comedy clubs. So you get there and like you said, they were booking you as a headline and you weren't ready. Uh, the reaction from the clubs and canceling the rest of your weekend or calling your agent and saying that this guy is X, Y, and Z, did they weigh on you?
2: I think honestly, when you're starting out, you're so delusional because you have to convince yourself it's going well. When it's really not going well, or else you'd never do it again right so I'm telling myself like I'm good, but I was not good like I look back I go, what was I doing and honestly like the period of time where I really didn't have an hour and i was I was touring it was like six months you know and so by the time I even had my head above water I go oh, okay i i I figured this out and uh and then uh you know and then the you know the biggest pivot my career was in 2008 i came up with the show sleepwalk with me where i talked about my sleepwalking condition where i literally jumped through a second story window of a motel in in washington state what yeah are
1: you serious mike
2: yeah it was actually at a naka so i was in walla walla washington at whitman college wow it was a string of colleges it was like six colleges in five days and I'm driving myself in a rental car all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I had been sleepwalking since like high school, college. I'd had like sleepwalking incidents, but never anything that was like shocking. And I had a a dream that there was a guided missile headed towards my motel room, La La Quinta Inn. And I jump out of bed and I say, what's the plan? They say the missile coordinates are set specifically on you. And I decided to jump out my window. So I was diagnosed with what was called REM behavior disorder, where people act out their dreams. And uh, yeah, so I jumped through secondary second story window. I ended up with stitches in my legs. I went to the emergency room. And I built a whole show around it. And then I ended up making an independent film
1: from it. Holy fuck, man.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot.
1: So so wait a minute. So what's the disorder called again, Mike? It's called REM sleep behavior disorder. You knew that you had this condition. You knew that you that you had something. I knew I had something.
2: I knew I, had, I knew I was, I knew I was sleepwalking. You know, like I'd have a dream, for example, that I was like, there was like a jackal hovering above my bed and I'd jump on the bed in real life. Mm-hmm. And I'd wake up and my girlfriend would be like, there's a, you know, Michael go to bed, you know? And I'd go, okay, and I'll go to bed. You know, that kind of thing.
1: So somebody would be with you and they could always get you out of it. Exactly. Okay, got it.
2: Exactly. And so it was always this thing where it was like, huh maybe i should see a doctor but you know when you're in your young 20s you don't have health care you you know you don't really have a doctor you don't mm-hmm. you, you don't really have stuff figured out mm-hmm. and so i was like yeah i should see a doctor and then i thought like maybe i'll eat dinner and i went with dinner you know what i mean and so <laughs> you know what i mean And so i never went to a doctor until i literally jumped through a second story window
1: jesus christ man yeah yeah and after doing that, the doctor, the doctor basically just let you know the condition and then told you the best way to to handle it. How were you able to say like, okay, this is how I'm going to get a hold of it? Like, what was the what was the key to getting a hold of it?
2: The key to getting a hold of it was twofold. One is I take medication, uh, which is like an anti anxiety before bed. Okay. And the second is, and people think I'm making this up, and it's totally true. I sleep in a sleeping bag up to my neck. And for a while I would wear mittens. So I couldn't open the sleeping bag. I don't wear the mittens anymore. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy?
1: Was that suggested to you or did you come up with that?
2: No, no, no. That was my, it was my first sleep doctor. I've had like three or four sleep doctors since then, but that was my first sleep doctor. This is so
1: interesting to me. Isn't that crazy, man? No, it's so it's, it's, it's mind blowing. Oh. I've heard about, you know, the elevated side to sleepwalking conditions. Um, You know, but I've never, I've never talked to anybody that's experienced it. You know, I've I've read things or, you know, in conversation of, oh my God, I heard that. Or have you ever seen like things like that? But I've never known that it existed at this level. This is, this is insane.
2: Yeah, basically it's, you know, when you fall asleep, uh, there's, uh, dopamine is released from your brain into your body that essentially paralyzes your body. So you don't act out your dreams. Mm -hmm. And I have a, like what they call a dopamine deficiency. And so sometimes if I have an extreme dream, I'll act out the dream. But for you know, fortunately I'm diagnosed now, so I don't have it. I'll have it like once or twice a year, I'll have something, but I don't have it as much. Is it not
1: crazy that as comedians, we find ourselves in places where it's almost like the material writes itself?
2: <laughs> yeah exactly
1: like you're you're sitting here talk to me about this, and then you go out, you talked about it, and then you stand up. It's like surreal that as a comedian you you deal with this, and the one thing that you have that allows you to express yourself is the talent of of bringing funny to anything that you choose to
2: that's all that's all so something that acts
1: as a problem you you're you're now like making light of and making fun of
2: that's what we got, you know. I mean, what's crazy, I was talking to Sarah Silverman the other day, who I loved, I loved it when she was on your show. I, I had her on my podcast and I, was, I said to her, I go like, you're one of the only people I can ask this of. I go, how come all of our, our comedian friends die? Wow. It's like, it's like, what the fuck? You know, Patrice, wow. is, Patrice is dead. Hedberg's dead, you know, Todd Lynn's dead. You know, like all these people who are our friends, like they seem like they're dying at a much higher rate than other people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What I found from doing this podcast, is we have to be funny because that's the career that we chose and that's what we've fallen in love with, right? And yeah. because we're so funny and our personalities portray fun and funny, some of us cover up the the dark side, right? Yeah. Some of us cover up the the part that's a problem. And I feel like you can only cover that up for so long I feel like you can only I mean, cover up right. the problem for so long before the problem starts to leak out yeah and if and when it leaks out well you know it spills into your life in a way to where it can be detrimental you know what I mean like yeah it can be a lot and and I think yeah. as comedians because it's a you versus you craft you know it's not sport but it's yeah. a you versus you craft yeah so sometimes you know the highs are high but the lows are are like solo lows yeah and that's and that's where the the dark side of it comes from man and that's why i asked you you know when you were talking about you bombing and 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 the the rough patches in the beginning did that weigh on you did yeah. it have an effect on you um and it was just good to hear you say no nah, like I, I had this weird level of confidence i was fine i was oblivious do you still feel like you Where where do you operate at now from a from a confidence level in comedy
2: from a confidence level, I'm in this place where it was refreshing when I heard you talk to Bill Burr and you're like, Do you still love stand-up? And I was mm-hmm. like answering it in my head. I was like, Oh yeah, I love stand-up still. But it was nice to hear him be like, but I still want to get better. Cause that's how mm-hmm. I feel. I'm like, mm-hmm. none of us have cracked it. Mm. You know, we're all doing our best. We're all trying to make breakthroughs, but it's like, you know when i think about like the next show i'm developing right now it's called the old man in the pool and it's about hitting middle age and thinking about how you know you get you know you, they say the expression like over the hill and i never understood the expression until i got on the hill and i looked around and i'm like oh there's natural causes <laughs> like, they're not close but they're coming you know what i mean <laughs> but like that's what the whole show is about the whole show is about death and i'm like i want to do in this next show i want people to laugh for an hour and a half about death mm. so that we can all have a communion together mm. about that. You know, because I think that's what comedy at its best is when we're laughing at the things that we don't even want to think about because that's like exercising it. You know what I mean? I love that. That's the cathar, That's the catharsis. No, I
1: love that. I love that breakdown. And it's so true too. It's so true. I mean, for me, it's, it's been, it's been the pain, you know, laughing at the pain. Yeah, that's why I think that was yeah. one of my my best specials because that's when I was going through like the most shit. And I found like the yeah. more shit that I go through, the funnier I have the uh, I have the opportunity to be funnier, right? I got a choice to yeah. make. It's like I can yeah. I can take the experiences and I can choose to uh, talk about them uh, in the only way that I know how, which is to stand up, or I can just swallow it and, and and keep it to myself. And I found talking yeah. about the things like like you just said that you you know you don't really want to do the things that are like kind of problems or 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 a little darker than 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 most things uh that's where you find the that's where you find the best humor at that's where you find the best yeah. the best version of yourself in the craft in my opinion damn what do you feel uh comedy is now how do you like the state of comedy today
2: i mean i think it's great i mean i think like there's, first of all, there's just too many comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. maybe like, it is. that's like, it's, it's a like lot hard it. to keep track. It's <laughs> a like lot of of, like, people are like, have you seen this person? I'm like, no, they're, yeah. they're huge. You know, all right. Okay. <laughs> like I, can't, I can keep up. And I feel like all I do is watch comedy and I still can't keep up. So that's great. I mean, that's good. Ultimately for the art form. There's like, There's more of a diversity of voices. There's way more women in comedy than there used to be. Like there's so many things. But then also because comedy is so popular is like, that's why people get so mad about jokes. People get mad about jokes because those people never even used to hear jokes. (laughs) Like Your comedy would never make it to them. And now Mm -hmm. comedy is like huge. It's like pop culture and so it's this thing where people are like well i don't like that joke and it's like well yeah i mean not everybody's not everybody's gonna like everybody's jokes like it's <clears throat> it's crazy because it's like it didn't used to be like you look at Pryor for example like all of us comedians were like Pryor's the greatest or one you know certainly one of them if not top three you go well i wouldn't have agreed with Pryor <laughs> when i listen to his albums I, I don't go like oh yeah he's right about everything
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But I respect him, and I'm like, oh, that's that's an injury. That's a provocative observation. You're spot
1: on, but it, it's it's hard for everybody to look to look at it and and be that simple with the look, right? You know, it, it's like I feel like there's such a high level and want to be complicated or too complicate in today's time. Um, and and you know, another thing is just like when you talk about. You talk about comedy. You talk about how many um, comics there are. Well, you know, there's there's a void, a uh, where I guess you could say people are like everybody wants to be funny, like people people want to be funny, right? And and the choice to be a comedian to become a comedian is because of the expectations of happy that are attached to it, right? I'm going to have fun, I'm going to have a good time, and I'm funny, yeah. I make people laugh. Hence, I can make a career out of it. Yeah. It's it's the same way as kids right now uh, that are gamers. Yeah. When you look at gamers right now, you know why the fucking gaming industry is growing? Yeah. Because kids love to play games. I can do what I love, and I can get fucking paid for it. What's well, the same as comedy? Yeah right? It's the same thing. People right. love to fucking laugh and they love to That's make right. people laugh. And if I can make people laugh and you're telling me that I can be good at it and get paid, oh my God, I'm going to try to give this a shot. That's why the numbers are growing. The numbers are growing because people are like, this is yeah. it. And I can now do this. And yeah. the internet has made it even, you know, even bigger because there's different yeah. roads that you can take into getting into comedy and yeah. to getting into the craft. Um, the reason why I ask you just like, what do you think the state is? And I ask all comedians that come on here because it's just good to see where everybody's mind is today. It's good to see how, how people are thinking, right? Like some people are like, fucked up. This is it's fucked. And some people are like, no, yeah. it's cool. It's fine. You gotta adjust. You gotta yeah, make, yeah, yeah, make, totally. it, make it sense, you know what I mean?
2: I think it's the upside is you gotta look at people who have made it because of the internet. So you got like Bo Burnham. You got like Quinta Brunson. You got people who are like, that was their platform. Their platform was the internet. They actually weren't gonna make it up through the club circuit because that wasn't available to them. So it's like, in that sense, the internet's great for comedy. And in another sense, it's kind of hell for comedy.
1: Yes, I mean, but that's with anything. It's a gift and a curse. Yeah. You're gonna have the gift, you're gonna have the curse. Um, What do you want out of comedy? What's the goals for you, Mike?
2: This is a great question, Kev, because I think that that's that's the existential question I'm trying to ask with my show, uh, or one of them I should say is like, you hit middle age, and you and I, you know, I've just I have uh, my daughter six, and I don't know your perspective changes. It's like it, it, when you have children, or if you have children, often your pers- perspective changes. I'm trying to be very general with my language so I don't tell people how they think and how they experience having children or not my ex- that's good though that's what that's
1: what the times today have done yeah they make it they've made us all more conscious of how we say things right. not what we say but how that's right so, how we say it so go ahead take your time
2: yeah my per, my personal experience has been with having a daughter is it's like it's not just it's not just what can I be what kind of comedian can I be it's like what can I do to be a decent role model to be of service you know like even like in the last like in 2018 and 2020 with the elections i didn't want to go in hard on like a candidate but i did want to go in hard on like i want people to vote Mm -hmm. so i went out to colleges and performed like a free college event called stand up and vote and i would bring a bunch of comedians Mm -hmm. with me like john stewart did one of them and john mulaney did one it was just like But like, there's things like that where I'm like, oh, when my daughter gets older, she can see that I'm doing that and understand that it's not just about me kind of, you know, spinning my wheels.
1: Yeah. I mean, you also can think of it like for me and I've talked about it a couple of times, it's just like we're in a position now to make it all make sense at the end, right? And I I just ask myself, what's the wrap up? Oh, interesting. Wow. What's the wrap up, right? Like yeah. you know, every every story it has to have an end. And you know, when I talked to Seinfeld, uh, good friend, love him to death, respect him so much, my take on Seinfeld, I was like, you know, the bowing out of the TV shows, like he did it before it could get bad. hmm He did it before like you could you could say something bad or they could destroy it.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: At, at the height of it. I chose to leave it, right? Yeah. And he has fun doing stand up. He did another special, but you know, it's 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 not like it's this crazy consistent thing and putting them out, putting them out, putting them out. Yeah. And it just got me thinking, like, what's the wrap up? Like is there yeah, yeah. is there a bow out for us as as comedians where it's like you're in the best space. Yeah, yeah. You chose to stay there. And move, or are we so engulfed into this thing that it's just never ending? Like you know, you talk to Chappelle. Chappelle's like, it's never gonna stop. Yeah, I'm never gonna fucking stop. I'm doing it yeah. fucking ever. You yeah. talk to Chris Rock. Chris is like, I don't give a fuck. I'm gonna be doing it till I'm 70 because I just keep getting better and yeah. I keep getting funnier. Yeah. right. And then that's right. I'm on the other side, and I'm like, I just feel like there's got to be a wrap up. Oh, really? I feel like I'm. I don't know. I'm, I'm telling I struggle with this. This is breaking news, Kev. This is breaking I news. I struggle. I struggle with this, Mike. There's
2: got to be a wrap up. <laughs> Kevin Hart. I'm just
1: thinking like, is there, is there a wrap yeah. up? You know, whether it's 50 years old, 60 years old, is there a, I did it. I'm happy with what I was able to do and achieve.
2: I think you got to be whatever age you're at. For me, I'm turning 43 this month and I think what it, as a comedian, an artist of any kind, a creator of any kind, you need to be cognizant of what stage in life you're at and to be honest about what that stage is. So mm-hmm. I feel like the people who are lost are the guys who are 60 who are pretending to be 20. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But a guy who's 60, a woman who's 60, telling you what it's like to be 60, I'm into that. Like, I, when I watch Chris Rock, when I watch Tambourine, I'm like, oh, I love this. I love this because this is where he's at.
1: It's truly
0: the best. Oh, I love it. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When's the last time you talked to an old
1: person? like a, like a long conversation with an old person.
0: Oh gosh.
2: Yeah, just the other night with my parents. My parents are aged. There's
1: nothing more intriguing than a conversation with an old person.
2: Oh yeah, it's fascinating.
1: It takes you it takes you getting older to value the conversation that an old person can give you yeah. because it comes with so much experience, with so much knowledge and so much wisdom. Oh yeah. The information that you get from these conversations. Yeah you can't purchase
2: no i mean i I mean i was i had like one of the most connected conversations i've ever had with my dad the other night and it's literally because i read this malcolm gladwell book called bomber mafia about world war ii pilots and he he's read a million books about world war ii and you know served in the military so like he, so like, that was like one of the only things we have in
1: common. Wow.
2: Like my dad and I, like that we don't, we genuinely like don't have that much in common. He's a doctor and I'm a comedian and like, he never, he always was like, oh, maybe this will parlay into advertising. Like he didn't think that it would be a thing. And now he's sort of like, ah, oh, okay, you know.
1: Are you guys close?
2: We're close in the sense that like everyone in my family, I'm youngest of four. So like. Okay. We all do the holidays together, you know. We all we all have our own intimate relationships with each other, and the and me and my brother and sisters are really close, um, and I'm close with my parents. But like my my stuff with my dad is hard. I talk about this in my book actually a bit because like people who are eighty, they either understand the internet <laughs> or they don't, and in mm-hmm. his case, like he doesn't so he'll get these email forwards with this crazy misinformation and he'll go you know what about this thing and i'm like that's not real you know what i mean Mm. like you're 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 sending me an email and it's like a conspiracy theory so i don't know where we go from Mm -hmm. and so like i think that's been hard for me to reconcile
1: and what about your mom
2: very close with my mom i mean the the, the one thing with my mom that's funny is <laughs> I've had all this shit with my I'm in the office right now. I'm in my office right now and we've had like tons of like leaks and like the the roof has been fucked up and like there's like tons of stuff going wrong. But there's nothing like talking to an old person like your parents about how many leaks they have seen oh my god. in their lives. Oh my god. I mean she 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 was like, Oh man, she goes, Your whole childhood was leaks. Your whole childhood was like mildew and mold and all this shit. That's what my mom's <laughs> and, doing. Uh, yeah instinct. and so it was it gave me so much peace to talk to my mom about that stuff.
1: and how was your how was your family? you say you got a, a big family? It's four of you yeah, guys. My brother
2: too. my brother Joe like runs my production company, mm-hmm. so we're close and uh my oldest sister Gina and second oldest sister Patty, and we're tight. I mean we're all I'm actually playing the melody tent in Cape Cod in august and patty's gonna fly across the country for it gina lives in rhode island she's gonna be there it's gonna be like a whole family thing god knows what i'm gonna say that's gonna piss people off but but uh it should be fun
1: when you first uh made the decision to do comedy were they all supportive
2: it it breaks down party lines (laughs) uh, my brother joe was definitely because he was always like part of the team he and i would write jokes together pretty much same of gina and patty my sisters uh, my pe- my mom was, like, not so into it. My dad was really against it. I mean, my dad was a mm-hmm. doctor, and he got his law degree in his free time. So, like, when he sent me to college, like, it wasn't so that I would become broke.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: And I get that. I actually get that more now than I did when I was 21 years old.
1: I mean, but seeing, seeing you benefit financially from comedy, from stand-up comedy... And it's parlayed into other things, writing, acting. Yeah. You know, has that has that kind of changed his outlook on it at all or still I think it has,
2: sure. Yeah. I mean, like, we don't we definitely don't we used to argue about that, and it's like now like we argue about current events. But like I but I agree with you. Like I think connecting with the older people in our lives is it's the thing that I have to remind myself to do. Because it's, you know, it's our relationship to the past, which is everything.
1: It's just, it's, it's, I'm telling you, man, it truly is one of the most refreshing things in the world. It's, it's opened up my eyes to so much because talking to an old person, I give you one thing that an old guy said to me one time, right? One of my friends is 65. And when I talk to him, I'm always calling him the old bitch, you old bitch, (laughs) right? And one day he said something (laughs) so simple, but so profound. He said, talk to me when you get here.
2: Oh, that's nice.
1: Talk to me when you get here. Wow. And that meant that meant so many different things. That yeah. meant, A, you'll be lucky to get to this age. That's right. And when you do get to this age, you'll be lucky to have somebody like you Yeah. in your life that's talking and that you have a good time. Yeah. With. You'll be lucky to have somebody to give you what I'm giving you.
2: Yeah.
1: Basically, was what he's saying. I broke it down. On the way home and and I gave it so many different meanings, but the appreciation for life grows as you get older, yeah, because you look back at all the shit that didn't have to go right, all the shit that went wrong that you're fine with and you're better because of, yeah, there's so much of that and and I think for me now mike it's it's one of those things where I'm like, what am I giving back, yeah. Yeah. like I get what I was able to gain and get but now that I have what am I going to give back yeah. what am I what am I putting back in yeah. to help the next generation yep so that they come out better you know what I mean yeah I respect the fucking olders
2: yeah
1: yeah can I call them that can I say olders? the olders bad, the, olders. the,
2: olders. the elders the the elders the elders
1: elders is better but I definitely said the olders <laughs> I told you I struggled well I'm Keith. Okay first
2: our it. our mutual friend Keith Robinson is getting up there in age right
1: Keith Robinson, man. Keith Robinson just recovered. He had a, another stroke know, not too man. long ago. Holy cow. Recovered, man. Uh, I, I love that he just... One of, the
2: be- one of my favorite people I've ever met
1: in my he's, life. I don't think there's anybody better.
2: I can't. And of course, I hope he doesn't hear this because he fucking relishes it. He, he knows it. <laughs> he knows it and he soaks it up he knows he's the funniest motherfucker
1: he knows he's the the
2: funniest guy
1: he knows he's the salt
2: of the earth he's the greatest he
1: is the best man he's truly the best um let's talk about the 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 business let's go to acting now you know uh what's the world of mike like in 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 the world of acting writing developing like you know what what are you doing now
2: i directed in the last decade, I directed two independent films. The first one is Sleepwalk With Me, which has the story I was alluding to earlier. And the second one was called Don't Think Twice. It starred uh, Keegan-Michael Key and Gillian Jacobs and part and, and me. And we're all part of this improv group where the one of the people gets cast on like a Saturday Night Live type of show. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else doesn't. And it's about what happens with the bitterness. I've seen it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've seen this. Yeah. Wait a minute. That's my, ba- yes. that's my
2: baby. That, that movie's my baby. Great. Yes. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. This is great, man. It was so dope. It's like uh, when, when uh, one of them gets casual, yeah. like you get to see people like kind of break down, yeah. It's honestly, fucking comedy. It's like stand-up comedy as well.
2: So the craziest thing was Keegan hosted SNL a few weeks ago, you know, life imitating art. And so I, I went to the show with them Holy and it was like, cow you know you got to hang out and it was like the weirdest thing because we made this movie in 2016 and and it was just such a weird cool experience it's like honestly nothing better it was like one of the best nights in my life
1: how are you with the directing bug you know after doing that is, love it, it. is it like uh a, a need to like okay i gotta figure out the next thing develop the next thing after that whole experience there yeah. is it is it
2: i i love it i love it i actually wrote you know what's crazy is I wrote a pandemic script. My next movie was going to be a pandemic, theme, like, backdrop comedy, like, thriller movie. And then the pandemic happened, and I was like,
1: Fuck. Are you fucking kidding me? I
2: swear to God. And, and so now I'm, like, I'm just putting that on the back burner for a few years, and I'm hoping we don't have fatigue. Because, honestly, I don't want to watch that movie yeah. right now. Like, I, I try to make things that I want to watch, right? And I feel like right now, I just want to laugh. I just want to like, I just want to goof around. And so, so, but I do want to direct move. I want to direct more movies. Whenever I act in stuff, I've act on billions or orange is the new black or train wreck or whatever it is. I'm just trying to learn from the director. I want to learn from Judd Apatow. I want to learn, you know, from, from Genji, Orange Is the new black or whoever it is. Cause I, you know, ultimately, I think my gift is to create things. And so like, you know, when I talk to you, I'm always thinking, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, I hope I can direct you in a mm-hmm. movie someday because I love mm-hmm. your acting. I think you're like I think you're one of the best actors, so i I hope we can do something someday.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Mike stop it, man. Make me blush on hairs. <laughs> people see that side of me. I love your approach to comedy. I love your take on funny. I've been a fan um and what I really like about this man is that it's exactly what it's supposed to be, you know in in doing this podcast. I'm supposed to walk away with a different understanding of the person I'm talking to, right? And, and you know, the conversation is enforced. It's, it's great dialogue, great fucking dialogue. And learning about you, learning about uh, just the things that you've been through, uh, the things you've opened up about, that's what the fuck this is about. And that's what I feel like as comedians, what we're able yeah. to do. We're able to be comfortable in our discomfort. Think about that. Think about that listeners we're able to be comfortable in our discomfort and that's what makes us special that's what makes us unique
2: And that's an everyday struggle too by the way i mean that's that never ends absolutely the ability to try to find comfort and discomfort that's every fucking day mm-hmm.
1: and and those that figure it out um nine times out of ten have a high level of success with themselves it's literally about about mastering yourself and you know mike hey i'm, I'm happy that you've gotten a hold on the the sleepwalking and and what that was I'm glad you finally went to the doctor because thank God that the window incident wasn't more than than what it was yes, yeah. right and that you're here to talk about it um I'm excited I'm excited for your next special I'm excited to see what this hour and a half about death or about the look <laughs> into death can shape up and, and, and become yeah um, When do you think you're gonna be going out
2: I'm going out in the fall doing like the chicago theater i'm doing like the miriam philadelphia your hometown Mm -hmm. and like a Mm -hmm. lot of places that i'd love to tour to and then i'm hopefully gonna i brought the last show to broadway we did the new one for 100 performances on broadway and i'm hoping the old man in the pool follows that follows that model
1: i love it and that's another thing, man. You're creating your own lane in your own space. Like, you know, going yeah. to Broadway, taking your show, these one man shows, and and yeah, and, and doing it different. Like, dude, you're you're in a space of your own and deservingly so, man. I'm a I'm a fan, I'm forever a friend. And I just gotta say thank you. Thank you for coming on to talk to me, man. I'm glad, I'm glad you fucking hit me. Like that's how that's how simple this is. Like when you hit me, yeah. I am like, hell yeah, Mike fuck yeah. yeah i want to talk to you like it's yeah it's that it's that easy but more importantly uh it's it's a need it's a must for more of yeah. this dude so uh, let's it, not man. let's not be that big of strangers moving forward no. man i want to know that you're yeah. okay i want updates yeah, on too. what's going on you fucking hit me dude all right Yeah, i will I ladies will. and gentlemen this is comedy gold mines and oh my god what amazing minds they are today's mind was no different mike Babigli. holy shit Guess what? We got to learn a little more about him. Uh, and I'm glad we did. Mike, thanks again, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is the best. I love you. All right, man. Love you back. Be safe. Uh, to our listeners, I can't wait till next time.
0: Peace. Comedy Gold Mines is a Sirius XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner and Ian McDonald.